Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight, it is game week, and my co-host Will Miles joins me, and you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his work at readandreaction.com. Will, it's finally here. Real game to talk about. No more recruiting, no more fall camp. Uh, Leading up to this point, it is all game talk starting this week. Well, we still need to talk about recruiting so we we can tick some people off, but... uh... (laughs) No, man, it's exciting. We got the game day coming up. We got a quarterback. We got a quarterback. We're not going in with a three-headed monster this year for the first game. So uh, excited to see how the team plays this Saturday and excited to break it down afterwards. Hey, we've talked about it before. I'm happy Felipe Franks is not splitting reps this week. So (laughs) I got got my one wish going into the the game week. uh, No splitting reps and he'll be getting all the starting reps. Yeah, well, I mean, that's important. Obviously, it had a role to play last year, I'm sure, in some of the preparations for Michigan, and he's got an extra year under his belt, and we'll see how he can do. All right, before we dive in there, remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Uh, you'll find uh, articles as, as well uh, from the News for Jack sports team. That's at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, you can listen on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version or catch us live. Uh, and when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And follow us on social media at, uh, on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, of course, uh, the Monday before a game, uh, depth charts usually released. And, of course, everybody uh, caught right away. Uh, and, and before the press conference was released, you know, Florida sent out kind of the press release that uh, Felipe Franks is going to be the starting quarterback when Florida and Dan Muller run out of the tunnel, and he'll be the uh, quarterback under center for the Gators. Not a huge surprise. Was like, was kind of expected going into fall camp. Uh, some up and down play for, for uh, both quarterbacks coming in, but when it's all said and done, as ex- as most expected, is Felipe Franks that's going to lead the team. Yeah, I think this is what's we what we've been hearing. It's certainly what's been coming out of the coming out of the fall camp specifically. I think we sort of knew this was what was going to happen when when Mullen made some comments that no one had really separated themselves over the uh, 
over the summer and now come in in the fall and, and it was just sort of Frank's job to lose. And, and we'll see. I mean, you know, the question as always is, is it, did he win the job or did the other two guys lose it? <laughs> and we'll find out pretty early because Florida goes on the road in games four and five and it's going to be a hostile environment and we'll see how he does. Yeah, you know, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see how he does. And uh, Mullen did speak uh, a, a lot to uh, why he named Felipe Franks uh, the starting quarterback. He says, all the quarterbacks have bright futures and are not a finished product. says, Franks gives the best opportunity to win games right now with his athleticism and being able to extend plays. And he likes the size and his toughness. Those are also positive for Felipe Franks. And then wide receiver Josh Hammond uh, later on, went on to say uh, when things got tough, things got hard, his leadership really pushed him over the top. Other guys have leadership as well, but with Felipe, showed what he wanted to be a starting – showed that he wanted to be a starting quarterback more than anybody else. So, you know, taking those two um, themes there, Will, of his athleticism, being able to extend some plays, uh, size and toughness, because, you know, I don't think Felipe Francis is going to run a lot. Uh, and, you know, we've mentioned time and time again where – if you know, going back to last year, there were times when we thought Felipe Frank should have should have ran or uh, should have been called to run more uh, from the coaching staff. He will be from Dan Mullen, but still not. You know, the, the, the 15, 20 times that you saw Dak Prescott, Tim Tebow do it, uh, just enough to keep some defenses honest. You know, five runs a game, five to seven runs a game. I think I think that's what you should do in some design quarterback runs. But also, you know, going back to speaking the athleticism, being able to extend plays. We've heard this offensive line being further along and run blocking than pass blocking, kind of the same story uh, as last year. So maybe this is also uh, a look at to where, hey, look, the offensive line has some trouble blocking. Felipe Franks can help the offensive line help himself by being able to escape the pressure uh, that the offensive line's giving up. So when it's all said and done, you know, as far as physicality and what he brings on the field w- with his arm and, and his play, those kind of seem to be the things that stand out to Dan Mullen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think his athleticism is certainly better than Trask based on what we've seen. Not as good as Jones, but probably has a better grasp of what of what Mullen wants to do on offense through the air. Um, one thing is, if you look at Mullen's track record, so in the article that I dropped today on Read and Reaction, really going to depth on this, but in 2009 when Mullen took over, um, Tyson Lee was a starting quarterback, but Chris Ralph ran for over for, for about 500 yards on like 76 carries. So he averaged six six 6.6 yards per rush. And I think that's kind of what we might see this year is that Felipe Franks will be sort of the throwing quarterback. And then, uh, and then Kadarius Tony or Emory Jones might be the running quarterback. And if you can cobble that together, you can get to a point where you have above average quarterback play, even if the quarterback throwing the ball is not fantastic and the quarterback running the ball is not fantastic. You sort of put those two, two things together and you get average production from the quarterback position. I think that's probably, you know, maybe a average to slightly above average is probably what we're looking at as an expectation. I mean, obviously if Franks takes a major step forward, that's a real feather in Florida's cap and they're going to be better than, than some of us might expect. But if he doesn't, if he just if he just takes sort of a moderate step forward, which is what happened for Tyson Lee from 2008 to 2009, I think having additional guys back there to run, not just Franks, is really where they're going to get the excess value. And then obviously, the threat of Franks running, I think, is more important than his actual production running. So the fact that he's willing to pull the ball and run around the corner means the defensive end can't just collapse on the running back coming through when there's a, when there's a read option player or an RPO or something like that. And so um, 
I do think that just the threat makes a difference. That's one of the reasons that Bill and I were talking about, um, you know, getting him to pull the ball, particularly against Georgia and against Vanderbilt. And and Nussmeyer just wouldn't do it. But this year, Mullen, I think, will do it, and I think it'll be effective. It's another wrinkle to throw at the defense, makes him hesitate, and and that's something that you can always exploit. Yeah, and then going back to what uh, Josh Hammond said about Felipe Frank's leadership, that's also that part of it's really not the is really not a surprise. Uh, when it's all said and done, because we've we've talked about ad nauseum in his quarterback position, but Kyle Trask not having the experience, uh, you know, of not playing in high school, and Emory Jones just being a, a true freshman. It'd be, it's tough for a true freshman to to come in, especially at the quarterback position, and and, and rally the troops and rally the team, uh, especially when there's a guy. You know, look, the teammates we've we've been around it enough, and we've seen it enough. Teammates like Felipe Franks, and, and we've seen it through social media and and, and things they say and, and the way he carries himself. Uh, you know, it, it's been said time and time again how much the team respects Felipe Franks, and I think they also kind of respect what he went through last year and and being thrown to the wolves and you know in that Michigan game and how everything happened and getting pulled and then um, you know, I mean look the credit card suspension at the beginning of the year you you lose your best wide receiver you lose your starting running back and you're thrown into the mix uh, there as your as your first time starter against a you know very good defense in Michigan everything he went through with the coaching change last year and bad coaching uh, all at the same time and and you know he it's you know him being able to withstand that now with the new coaching staff being able to put things together kind of starting from from zero and those guys see that and and i really believe josh Hammond when he says that you know felipe frank shows uh, the leadership qualities that a quarterback needs to show now look of course it's all going to come down to whether he can you know, can beat it, can complete a third and seven in crunch time and, and not fold under pressure. But at least there's some positives that to point to and what Mullen's saying in athleticism and stand plays and this leadership. Yeah, I mean, I think leadership is overrated if the other guy's lighting it up. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so if or Emory Jones had come out and lit it up, I think people would have been like, "Well, we really like Felipe, but we, <laughs> don't we want these other guys to play." And you would have you would have gotten that sense. I, I think you know, though. But but obviously, the fact that his teammates sort of gravitate towards him is one area where he's got a leg up. That's something that is important when you're trying to when you're trying to parse small differences between players. And probably was a leg up he had you know, that he had on some of the other guys. Um, the other thing is, I, you know, Franks obviously was not great last year, but he did show flashes of things that were pretty good. So I had written back in March, I'd written an article on, um, on the case for Felipe Franks to be a starting quarterback and broke down some of his film from a couple of games last year. And there were some things he did really well. So when he was asked to throw the ball deep and he had time, he usually made the right read. He was making the correct pre-snap reads. He would get fooled whenever the defense adjusted their look after the snap and then would throw the wrong place or maybe wouldn't see some guy coming open. He certainly got rattled after throwing some some interceptions, particularly against Texas A&M. You can sort of see some hesitation. Um, you know, a lot of people complained about him locking onto the first read. What I actually saw was that he was coming off of his first read too soon and didn't allow the play time to develop. So there are certainly some areas that he needs to improve on, and we're gonna we're gonna, we're obviously going to see that this year, or he's not going to play for very long. Um, but there, there's some promise there. I mean, the guy on deep throws, especially to the outside, um, you know, out routes, um, sort of the third down little uh, little pick plays that got Brandon Powell open on the, on the boundary. Those were things that he did very, very well. We'll see what he's added to his repertoire over this offseason. But certainly if he can improve significantly some of the things that he was deficient on, particularly um, holding on to that first read, going to the right place, being able to read a defense after the snap, then floor is going to be a lot better. 
And Willie definitely has more help around him too. You know, going back to, to last year, I mentioned the credit card scandal, losing your best receiver, losing your best running back. You get that running back back this year. You brought in two transfers who, you know, at wide receiver who had the potential to, to really elevate that position group in Van Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes. We'll be out of excuses with Felipe Franks now. You know, they're, they're, yes, he's still young. Yes, we know we go back to high school and still doesn't have uh, didn't have a lot of coaches. But if it's another slow start, and you know you go to and you go through Kentucky and you struggles there, or you go on the road with Tennessee and Mississippi State back to back, you know, I think you know with now, in Mo naming him starter, you know, if 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 it, if it goes south with everything that's around him, you know, it's uh, it, it may be it may be time to to switch gears then. Maybe, but I mean, again, I think we need to look back and say, what are our expectations for this year and are they reasonable? And one of the reasons I've been so adamant about some of the recruiting things is that I I don't necessarily expect Florida to be fantastic this year. I expect them to be better, but I don't expect them to be fantastic. And, you know, again, I have a chart in the article that I released today that, that looks at probability of outcomes for the, for the offense and, and sort of offensive improvement. And so the good news is, is almost 77% of offenses that were as bad as Florida's last year improve, but only, only about a quarter of them improve, you know, 40 to 49 spots in offensive ranking, which means that there's a one in four shot that Florida ends up in sort of the 60 range for offense. Well, that's not going to be fantastic. It's going to be about 27, 28 points per game. And, you know, is that good enough for the fan base? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's a right around where Muschamp was in a couple of years that he, except for the one where he went four and eight. Um, you know, it, that's kind of where the Muschamp offenses were. I think most people, if you said, hey, would a Muschamp offense be good enough? They'd tell you no. But that's probably what our expectation should be this year is that the offense is going to be inconsistent. It's going to show fits and spurts. There are going to be times where it looks explosive. There are going to be times where it looks putrid. And I think a lot of that will have to do with the defensive personnel who are across the ball from the offense when they're playing. And they're going to be learning as they go. And so I think a reasonable expectation is somewhere in that 26, 27, 28 points per game. Um, you know, if Franks can get them there, I think that's something that Florida fans need to basically say, Hey, this is a reasonable thing for him to do. You know, you don't have Baker Mayfield coming through that door. And so you, you have to rely on the people that you have and you have to trust them. And I really do hope that there's not a quick hook. I mean, unless it's just, you know, I think Mullen sort of made a comment that maybe this is his last press conference where unless things on the field are different than what he's seeing in practice, that he's not going to pull the guy out quick. I think that's important because last year they certainly pulled pulled the trigger pretty quickly in that game against Michigan and even the game against Kentucky. And, uh, you know, I, I recognize that Florida fans have been frustrated by many, many years of offensive and in particular quarterback futility, but that's not all on Felipe Franks. If he improves, I think we need to embrace him and support him. Uh, all right. And if he doesn't, uh, Kyle Trask is waiting in the wings uh, for a lot of fans want to see him. Uh, and, you know, we'll see uh, how they work in Emory Jones, uh, maybe some packages and how they'll work that four-game redshirt rule for the freshman quarterback. So we'll, of course, you know, ask our listeners out there what they thought about Felipe Franks uh, being um, named starter. And uh, Ryan Hinckley says, uh, expected and given other options, probably the best. Emory will still get a package, assuming he's not catching a game uh, for the Taybang incident or anything else. So Trask, not really an option, in my opinion. Uh uh, Don Aaron's uh, preseason to speak from Dan is which QB makes the players around him better. Yet when he addressed the question, why Franks, this was never addressed yet. It was a key priority to the summer camp. And uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting there uh, that that wasn't really brought up 
uh, in talking about the in choosing Felipe Franks. Uh, Ryan Hessen, he goes, I will always give a guy a chance. I'm giving 13 to the first half of the Kentucky game. If he flops, uh, would be great at holding up the play calling sign from the sidelines on the bench. It's so hard to fix accuracy at the quarterback position. He doesn't go through progressions well. Uh, check the logo, a low, low key 850. I'm not excited about the move, but I trust Mullen's judgment uh, more than the last two coaches. In my opinion, I think it's a long way from over. And if he starts imploding like he has done previously, I believe he'll get yanked. Mullen isn't going to allow his limitations to ruin the season. Uh, Slim Gator at South South Life Gold would have liked to see Trask get some live action. He looked better than Franks in the spring game, but that's why I'm an idiot on Twitter and not a coach. <laughs> Uh, E.B. Payne, uh, I, I trust Mullen. think Franks is a great option for what he wants to run. Tons of potential uh, that a good coaching staff can develop. Ceiling is very high. Excited for the season. Um, Tarpon 21, kind of irrelevant. I expect all three quarterbacks to get a lot of reps this year. Um, uh, I suffer Sean. Twitter names are sometimes hard to read, Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank ceiling is incredible high, and we know his floor. Highest-ranked quarterback Mullins had since Tebow. Franks looked like a baller at times last year. Let's hope with Mullins' guidance, he learns consistency. He really would, really would have been more worried if Trask was starting. Uh, a few more here. Uh, Scott Everly, uh, I think it shows Mullen wants to be able to attack downfield to make people pay for stacking the box. Throwing downfield is one thing we know Franks can do. Uh, Dot connector, uh, hey, Brent Pope. Uh, could be an indictment of the offensive line's pass blocking skills. Quarterback can't be primarily a passer. Offensive line not there. Trask is a willing runner, but Franks runs like a gazelle. Mullen needs a quarterback whose legs have to be accounted for. And the last two here uh, at Mayo made uh, confidence. Uh, Franks is the guy, and knowing he's the guy will help with the confidence he did not have last year. Add that, better coaching, more talent around him, and an offense that fits his abilities. And we win more games. And Thrillmonger here, Franks deserves that shot. He stuck it out despite a coaching change and a very rough reception from fans. Is willing and eager to learn. If he can translate that into better decision-making and ball security, he can be a game manager. Doesn't have to be Brady or Rodgers. Anything catch your ear there, Will? So I think it's a couple of things there. One one of the one of the listeners talked about his accuracy. I agree with that. So he completed 54.6% of his passes last year. Um, it's not going to get a whole lot better. He wasn't much above that in high school. I think he was 57 or 58% in high school. He is who he is. Like This is what we should expect is that he's not necessarily going to complete a huge percentage of his passes. Now, the problem is, is he only he only averaged six point three yards per attempt. So the the listener who said he he's proven he can sh- he can throw downfield, that's not entirely accurate because that average is well below the average of like seven point four in FBS. He needs to get up around eight in order to really be effective in Mullen's offense because he's not going to run a ton. The offense doesn't really fit him. I, I mean, I don't know that the offense fits him better than last year's offense, other than last year's offense a lot of times didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the third and play action certainly didn't do him any good, it didn't do him any favors, and always running on second and 10 didn't do any favors either. But um, so hopefully the play calling, a little bit more creativity, all that sort of stuff is going to help him. But at the end of the day, he's got to go downfield. He's got to go outside. And we'll talk a little bit when we get into sort of, um, you know, some of the, some of the sort of, season preview type stuff we're going to go over tonight. We'll get into some of those wide receivers. I think they're going to be really important and are probably one of the reasons why Franks is the starter. All right. All right. So uh, the depth chart, 
Well, it was as we said, it was released. And uh, look, I, I think I'll say the depth chart's pretty fluid uh, going into the opener. Uh, there might be some motivational tactic, tactics being used. Suspensions are usually a big part of the uh, first games, and there's been plenty of rumors about that. Uh, Will you know you and I have heard for for months uh, about about them, but nothing concrete. So uh, with names being thrown out there, so you know we'll kind of you know don't want to speculate on names, but uh, more than likely you know some suspensions are coming. Uh, some guys are injured or coming off of injuries, so there's going to be plenty of movement on this depth chart that was released come Saturday. You know, but still we'll, we'll discuss what what we saw in the release first of all. Uh, defensive back, you know, show safety, Sean Davis, questionable. David Linebacker, David Reese, questionable, as we mentioned, his ankle uh, from last week. Uh, Jacob Copeland, who hasn't practiced since uh, the first week, he's doubtful. Uh, defensive back, C.J. McWilliams, also questionable. Uh, one of the big surprises, Will, when it came out was Jakob Polite listed over C.C. Jefferson. And I do think C.C. Jefferson, Jefferson's injury plays a part here. But I think this is also, you know, a breakout type of year for polite and, and he'll get a chance early to early on to prove um you know as i think cc jefferson will be worked in pretty slowly given his no contact through the fall camp but you know jacob polite's been that name a lot of people have have pinned to maybe be uh to, to kind of break out be that that guy we've heard the potential about but in this new defense this attacking style defense uh with todd grantham that you know and plus you know mullen and, and grantham have both talked about how he's been able to to, to rise to the occasion he's he looks like he can you know, be that guy coming off the edge to, to go get the quarterback and, and cause havoc in the backfield uh but even though you know with, with cc being the senior and and, and the five-star coming in as a recruit it was a little bit of a surprise to some that jacob polite was listed as a starter yeah well you know i mean cc played the whole year last year had 13 and a half tackles for loss four and a half sacks polite did not play the entire year had five and a half tackles for loss and two sacks i think we all remember that was polite who ran down the the play on uh that was posted on twitter against tennessee yeah. right where, where he was where he was really showing a motor and i think that might be one of the things that they're sort of indicating here is that the motor is important um but you know polite's a very good player i mean he he um obviously not not a highly ranked guy coming out of high school, but he's shown, he's shown flashes. He's shown, um, you know, an ability to get to the quarterback and ability to get in the backfield. The question is, does he have the ability to set the edge? And is he going to be able to be, is he going to be able to hold up against the run? But I think that's a question for a lot of Florida's guys <laughs> who are going to be at that position. And you'd say the same thing about CC Jefferson is, you know, he was playing with a hand down last year, but you know, there, there was some guessing going on in some of the gaps for some of the players up, up front. Um, one thing I, I am pleased to see is that Conliffe and Slayton are mm -hmm. starting up front. Um, you you know, my, that's where I was going next, so go ahead. <laughs> I mean, those guys are younger guys, but they're the future, and they're the guys who are more talented. So, you know, Kyrie Clark is, mm -hmm. is again, a, an experienced player but hasn't necessarily shown a ton. Um, some of the other guys up there up front that you thought might have been in front of those guys in game one have apparently been beaten out. And I think that's a good sign because it means that these high-level guys are coming in and producing, at least in practice, and we'll see whether that translates into the game. Yeah, you know, and uh, going through here, you know, some linebacker names we did, we've heard so a lot of that. Ventral Miller, James Houston weren't really listed on there, but you know, this is the game. I, I don't expect David Reese to play, even though he was listed as a starter. Uh, you know, given the report from his ankle injury last week, and you know, so that you know, moves out Rashad Jackson uh, there. You know, I'm interested to see how Vashawn Joseph fits into the middle. Um, you know, he. Boomer bust type of linebacker, uh, but he is listed as a as starter as one of the middle linebackers in this defense. So can he can can he hold the edge uh, when he has to? You know he won't be asked to uh, uh, pass coverage a lot. You know he'll be sticking his head in there, and we, we know he can we can hit it hard. But you, know, you got to stay disciplined there. 
Um, and probably the biggest surprise, I mentioned Ja'Kai Polite was, was a surprise, but the biggest surprise, we all, you know, most of this focuses on the defense here, uh, but Donovan Steiner uh, starting at safety came as a surprise to, to a lot of people out there. Uh, like I said, the biggest surprise. Uh, and he's put together a nice camp, and Mullen and Grantham uh, had some nice things to say as far as his athleticism goes. Uh, and, the, and look, we know the Gators dealt with injuries back at safety this fall, and it looks like Steiner took advantage of his opportunity there and showed he's capable of starting. Uh, Mullen said in the press conference that Steiner has had a great camp, take advantage of the opportunities, and, and, and his athleticism really uh, you know, allows him to go stick his head in there and, and and tackles and then uh, go chase down some plays as well. So, you know, um, we've heard Steiner's name and, and his potential there, uh, but you know, him being above Sean Davis, who, as you know, as we said, questionable uh, with injuries there, Jawan Taylor, Brad Stewart, you know, those are some names uh, in the safety rotation that did that, that was going through some uh, nicks and bruises all throughout fall camp, but good for Donovan Steiner to, to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, well, they screw. You know, we're gonna do bold predictions later, and they screwed up my bold prediction because I had Donovan Steiner is gonna play a major role at safety. Um, really, because I looked at how they deployed him against LSU, and he played kind of a hybrid linebacker in safety, and they put him in position to stop the jet sweeps. That was one of the things that he was on the field to do. And so my thought process was that if Grantham could use him in that role, he probably has the ability to cover tight ends and slot receivers some while aiding and run support in a way that maybe some of the other linebackers can't. And so we've talked a lot this offseason about some of the struggles at linebacker, the ability to cover and stop the run. Steiner provides that. He's obviously not quite as big as a, a typical linebacker would be, but he's going to give them some coverage skills that maybe they wouldn't get otherwise. And so I, I really thought he was going to play a major role, and now I'm going to have to think up something else for my bold prediction. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll just let you talk for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go to the other side of the ball and, and center. Uh, here for um, uh, the the depth chart, and I, I'll start at center. Uh, you know because you know Nick Buchanan and TJ McCoy are listed as both starters there. Uh, is that is Nick Buchanan or TJ McCoy uh, on this depth chart that was released? And look, Buchanan has been lining up as the starter at center for most of fall camp, but he's had trouble snapping the ball. We've heard lately, uh, and Mullen did say that this competition was going to go into the game and go uh, go go throughout this week and go into the game and and see what Buchanan and McCoy uh, bring to the table. You know, I think this position, um, if it went the way they wanted to, Brett Heggie, of course, he got injured. But if he went and got injured, I think he'd be the guy uh, at center and Tyler Jordan uh, at left guard there, but you know, now Heggy just now coming back from his turf toe injury, he's now listed as the backup at left guard behind Tyler Jordan. But at center, you have Buchanan or TJ McCoy battling out, and uh, it's it's it, this is one of those battles, and uh, you know, you don't want to go into the first game with a, with a lot of position battles, but you know, against Charleston Southern, uh, maybe one of these guys, it looks like it's going to be Buchanan unless he can can't fix the snapping issues. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's important because yeah. that's yeah. going to cause turnovers. Um, but I, I think competition is good. And so seeing seeing there being some fluidity in some of the guys, so seeing Heggie is as a backup left guard as opposed to being a starter, which I think some of us expected, um, you know, obviously Buchanan at center, seeing some fluidity there I think is a good thing because those guys, you know, Florida isn't going to be able to get through the SEC schedule with just five offensive linemen. There's going to be an injury. There's going to be a turned ankle. There's going to be a twisted knee. There's going to be a shoulder. There's going to be something where they need an offensive lineman to step up. And so these guys – they're going to have to get experience against Charleston Southern. They're certainly going to get, I think all of them will get rotated in, but 
you can't just have guys for depth play against Charleston Southern. They have to be able to play against Kentucky and Missouri and Georgia and all those teams. And so I think it's a good sign that there's some competition there. And, you know, look, TJ McCoy played pretty well two years ago. He certainly struggled last year. But, um, you know, if he's back to playing at a reasonable level like he was two years ago and he's getting beaten out by Nick Buchanan, that's a pretty decent sign for the Florida offensive line. Obviously, what we've heard from camp has been that they're still struggling, but it has been more struggling on the pass blocking is what I've heard, not necessarily the run blocking. And so, you know, that's probably the area where Mullen's going to look to make the most progress in year one. And so if they can make some strides in that in that direction, I think it'll be a big deal. All right, then. Uh, so, yeah, that was the depth chart that was released here, Here, as I said, and Will just said, too. It's going to be very fluid uh, with everything that's going on. First game, you know, a lot of, you know, seniors taking part in this, you know, being uh, named uh, as part of, um, you know, or upperclassmen being named uh, as far as the depth chart goes. And we'll see how it all plays out, you know, and uh, go from there. Uh, when the Gators kick off against Charleston Southern, uh, we got some fun things coming up uh, here later uh, in the episode. Uh, but before we get there, you know, um, a message from uh, mybookie.ag. And, you know, ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking for advice, and usually it's uh, what team to bet on this week. And uh, the truth is, I don't know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, uh, who you're betting on is just is as important as who you're betting with, and that's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews, and an easy-to-use mobile site. So lay down some cash and win big today. Hey, look, I'd only recommend a service uh, to my listeners that's been good to me. So that's why I urge you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. Uh, my bookie has in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over/under on how many fantasy points a player will score for each game. So join my bookie now. And they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code Gators to act- activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code Gators when creating your account to claim the bonus. So MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. So, Will, here we go. Starting to do uh, some, some fun stuff. Uh, in this episode, as you mentioned, when we did our FSU preview uh, yesterday, it was released, and uh, we did these over-unders uh, last year, uh, and you said it was kind of funny because we had Antonio Callaway and Jordan Scarlett in these over-unders, and yeah, as we know, uh, they uh, they didn't play last year, and our predictions didn't, uh, it didn't end up going too well. Yeah, things change quickly in Gator Nation. So <laughs> as of August 27th, this is what we think, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always fun. It's good. It's good to get out here and sort of think about what might happen this year. And then, you know, it's even more fun to go back and sort of look at the predictions. I went back and looked at a, at a article I wrote predicting Florida to win the SEC East last year, and that was pretty laughable. So, um, as as always, these uh, these predictions are worth everything you paid for them, <laughs> uh, which is nothing. <laughs> um, so we'll start here. Well, over under Felipe Franks starts seven. And a half games. So, you know, with this, I'm not going to take the easy way out. You know, I'm going, I'm not going to account for injuries uh, when this thing happens. We know how that has hurt Florida quarterbacks in, in recent seasons. But, uh, you know, for the sake of doing this, not going to count injuries. You know, basically going to be based on performance. Uh, and I'm going to say Frank starts at least eight games. So I'll take the over here. Uh, if Mullen is to be believed on you know, how he'll handle the situation, he'll stick, he'll stick with Frank's as long as it isn't a disaster. You know, with Mullen leading the way, 
I don't think it gets to the disaster point. Now, that's not to say if it's below average for an extended period of time that I don't think Mullen just stands by. Uh, but I'm not going to predict that these, you know, uh, but, but actually I'm going to predict that these first three home games are good for Franks. He'll get better every game. He'll be at least serviceable when they go and travel to to, to Tennessee. And the, the way the schedule breaks, he'll at least you know get the he'll he'll at least get the first four starts. So you know, he, he's halfway there uh, at, at that point. And I'm interested to see how he responds on the road, especially having those two back to back road dates uh, with Tennessee and Mississippi State. Um, so you know we'll we'll see there. You got he'll have eight more games to go, uh, and I just really expect you know he, he'll he. He'll, he'll be okay in this offense, given the running backs, given the receivers, given what's around him. Uh, he'll be asked, you know, to run the ball very little, as we mentioned, but run it, uh, as Mullen said, be a willing runner. Uh, so, but I think what's going to determine, to determine if it happens or not is those back-to-back games with Tennessee and Mississippi State. Yeah, well, I mean, that's really <laughs> – if if Florida's – what what would we be at that point five and oh after that then uh yeah. cer- certainly they're not going to pull them out at that point if they're three and two then you start thinking about what you what you might be doing for next year and he did couch things today by saying that uh you know that franks gives them the best chance to win now um you know if you're three and two maybe you don't worry about that too much but i'm taking the over two i'm, I'm actually predicting a seven and five year for florida normally that'd mean at some point that emory jones takes over but i think mullen's pretty stubborn and, and i think whether you love that about him or you hate it about him i think he's going to ride with his choice of franks unless he lays an absolute egg so you know jones will get some time i don't think he'll redshirt you know, but mullen's never thrown a true freshman of the wolves i don't expect he's going to do that now and so I'm expecting Franks to spend the bulk of his time playing. And this also isn't an Austin Appleby situation where the guy's a senior and he's leaving and, and, you know, getting Jones into the game means that you're preparing him for next year. You know, Franks has three years of eligibility, you know, going into this year. And so if he plays well, he's, Jones is going to sit and that's just sort of the way it'll go. So I'm going to take the over. I think some of it's due to Mullen's stubbornness. I think some of it is what you said about the schedule and the home games early on. Certainly some of the, uh, you know, Colorado state did not exactly impress on defense the other night. And then, and then Charleston Southern, you would expect him to be pretty successful. So, so that's what I'm taking the over. All right. And well, one we, uh, we had last year, <laughs> as I mentioned, over or under, 1,000 yards for Jordan Scarlett. And uh, last year, I believe I picked the over, and I'm going to go that way again. I think it's actually pretty simple, and I'm definitely taking the over here uh, in a system that will run the ball more. Uh, and since I don't think the quarterback runs a whole lot, as I mentioned, a large majority of the carries will go to, to the running backs, and Scarlett leads the way more than likely there. Uh, so in 2016, led the team with carries uh, in, in his last season, uh, 179 carries for 889 yards and six touchdowns. So like 100, basically 110 yards from 1,000 yards there. Uh, so uh, his 889 yards was um, it was the most by a Florida freshman or sophomore running back since 1995. So I think he was ready to take off last season, and he didn't get that chance. So with a renewed focus, uh, a body that isn't beat up after not playing last season, all the reports of being really good in spring and fall camp, uh, and the style of offense the Gators will run, I think Jordan Scarlett gets his, um, you know, uh, high, uh, his 1,000 yards plus. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I'm taking the under. Mostly I'm taking it because he averaged five yards per rush. which was pretty decent. Even if he averages six yard per rush, you're talking about something like 170, 180 carries they need to get. There's just too many backs. I mean, that would have ranked, you know, in the top 50 in the country last season in terms of 
carries and with Pirine and Davis and Pierce and Lemons and all those guys back there, I don't know that it makes sense to run him into the ground, even if he is spectacular. So, you know, just if you've got that weapon, save him for LSU, save him for Mississippi State. Don't give him 25 carries against Colorado State. It just doesn't make sense to do that. You've got enough guys in the backfield. And to be honest, I think Davis is more of a home run threat than Scarlett is. And so, uh, you know, I anticipate a lot of two back sets and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think the goal is going to be to get the ball in their playmakers' hands. Scarlett's one of those guys, but he's not the only guy. And last year's offense was sort of Powell, 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 Powell all the time. And I think the creativity in Mullen's offense is going to help spread the ball around a little bit more. And I think that will harm Scarlett's overall numbers, even if he's considerably better this year. So you said I brought a good argument to the table and your argument that you just brought to the table was as almost the reason I went under is because of the depth at running back as well. Uh, but, you know, with like I said, him, him being so close two years ago, uh, that's that. That is the reason I, I picked him to go over um, this time, and we'll let you start the next one off. Over or under fifty catches for Van Jefferson. So I'm taking the over on this one. Um, this is me hopefully being optimistic about the offense a little bit. Um, you know, the scuttle is he's been the best player in camp, and if that's true, that means that means one of two things: either Florida's receivers aren't very good, because um, Jefferson has just sort of been average at at Ole Miss. I mean, he's a good player, but you know, 10, 10 or 11 yards per catch, not real explosive, um, you know, or he's ready for a breakout because he's improved from his first two years. Mullen's offense fits him a little bit better. They're going to go downfield more with Franks. Um, you know, I think Franks will be better under Mullen and he's going to have to throw somewhere. And so Jefferson's going to be that guy, especially since it sounds like they've built up a pretty good rapport. Um, you know, he's also six foot two, which I think makes a difference. You know, Franks can throw it up to him. And that was one of the things that Georgia did a lot last year with Jake Fromm early on was just sort of have him chuck it outside against one-on-one coverage. If Florida is able to run the ball, Franks is going to see some of that and Jefferson will be the beneficiary. Yep. Uh, you know, as far as stats go for Ben Jefferson, he's caught the same number of passes the last two seasons as Brandon Powell uh, did. So 49 in one season and 42 in the other. Uh, so go back to last year and Ben Jefferson missed the last two games of the season versus Texas A&M uh, and Ole Miss. Uh, he had 42 catches for 456 yards and a touchdown at that point of the season and was tied for seventh in the SEC in catches. So he had 49 receptions his first year, uh, was eight short, uh, you know, before an injury uh, with two games to go last season. So with all that, uh, with all that said, I say he goes over 50 receptions, but not by much. Uh, just kind of, kind of like you do, um, just because I think he'll be limited just by how much Mullen wants to run the ball. But he is a versatile enough wide receiver that I think he'll prove to be the safety blanket uh, for Felipe Franks. Or you know, if another quarterback takes over, uh, he can he can line up outside, he can line up in the slot, uh, and I think he'll be uh, the target uh, in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, we certainly have to hope so. I mean, with all the noise about how good he's been. Now, you know, I I sort of got PTSD from all the noise people were talking about Dre Massey um, two or three <laughs> years ago when he came in and how good he was going to be. And obviously he hurt his knee on, on the first play of the year, and then and then it takes a couple of years to come back from that. So maybe Massey will be really good this year. Who knows? But yeah. uh but you know, I I, uh, I remember all of that talk about him coming in as a as as a transfer yeah. and 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 just that not panning out. So I have a little bit of a concern there. But you know, I think I think that Jefferson just everyone has has stated that he's clearing away the best receiver on the field. Which again, I think it, it's a good thing if that means he's ready for a breakout. It's concerning if 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 that if he's the player he was last year and guys like Cleveland and Tony and and. Uh, 
and Grimes and those sorts of guys aren't aren't able to race to that level. So I think it's probably a little bit of both. The truth's probably in the middle somewhere, but since he's the safety blanket, I'd definitely go with the over. All right. Well, here's where uh, where it gets really interesting uh, for the for the team itself uh, on offense and defense. So we'll start on the offense and over under thirty points a game. Will I'm taking the under. So again, I talked about this in detail in my article that released today. But you know, I, I have Florida at 27.3 points per game based on my yards above replacement model, and that predicts modest improvement for Franks. So about the same kind of improvement that Tyson Lee experienced in his first year, and then 500 yards rushing for Tony and Jones as a combination in the backfield, and that sort of puts the yards above replacement just a little bit above average, and that and that puts Florida at 27.3 points per game. Um, so well under 30. So even if they outperform my expectations by a pretty significant amount it's gonna it's gonna take them quite a bit to hit the 30 and you know some of that i think might be might be controlled by how many they decide to hang on charleston southern too so i guess it sort of depends on whether we talk about fbs opponents or not right. but yeah. um but i'm gonna take the under on that one all right so let's see average 24 points two seasons ago 22 points last year and that was against fbs opponents only uh well, I'll just be Homer here. I'll say over. <laughs> uh, I'll, and I'll say right around 30 points a game. So, you know, like if we'll go decimal points anywhere from right over 30 to, to 31, 32, I, I, don't, uh, I don't see it, you know, getting crazy here. You know, those first four games really come into play. Uh, but, you know, not counting Charleston Southern, uh, Idaho later in the season as well, uh, get strictly FBS opponents. I still think, you know, Florida gets his 30 points per game uh, in improved running game, more big plays. Uh, allow this to happen it, it, enough to probably you know, go go on ahead for uh, eight wins uh, in the season. Now, with that said, I am a little hesitant because this could very well be an offense that plays a lot of ball control offense. So you some some long time drives uh, behind the running game. So that's going to cut down on some chances to score. Uh, but with an improved special teams, putting them in better field position as well. Uh, I'm going over the 30, but barely. Uh, I think Mullen just you know, puts them in position to score more, more chances to score touchdowns and more chances to kick field goals as well. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, they may have some stall drives. They may drive 20 to 20 uh, whatever, but I also think a little more chances uh, in, in special teams kicking field goals because you know even though we go back to last year, Michael Wayne's offense, and we heard so much about Pinedo's leg or whatever, you know, Michael Wayne didn't let him kick a lot, didn't kick an, enough long field goals. There were times where you know we we going into halftime or whatever, we, we would thought you know Mac would l- let him go bomb one. Uh, you know he didn't do that. I think Mullen's a little more aggressive, uh, and you start getting you know we'll see how far McPherson comes in and, and, and is able to kick. Uh, field goals here, but I just think you know they'll also get in just a, a normal field goal range uh, a bit more and start put you know chipping away uh, at some points. Yeah, well, I think it's instructive to look at Mississippi State as an example. So Sylvester Crewman is last year. The offense was 117th in yards per play. Florida was 104th last year. Um, Mullen's first year in, all of a sudden they jumped up to 66th, and that was on the backs of being 14th in yards per rush and then 90th in yards per pass. So, you know, he relied on the rushing game and and that wound up moving them up to 76th in points per game, which was 25.6. Now, I think Florida has better talent than Mississippi State did when Mullen took over, and so I think that'll be reflected in, in how they play. And also, I think Florida probably has a much better defense than Mississippi State did that first year. Um, but again, I, I think um, if you go back to what has happened historically, it's a real outlier to see teams jump from 100th to 30th in points per game. It just doesn't happen. That's kind of what they would need to do to get up to that 30-point-per-game mm-hmm. mark, and so that's just not something I'm going to predict. 
And that article I really liked by you too, and I just went against it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you read it, Dave. I'm surprised you read it. <laughs> You know, it is interesting though. You go back in, in your article just about how, about how much offenses improve. You know, if you're ranked below hundreds and in whatever expected output you expect the team to make, um, look, you released that article last year, and Florida was basically in the same spot. Yeah, well, that's that's a Nussmeyer. Um, you know, he just was really bad and was, has been bad for a really long time, at least with quarterbacks. And, you know, it's something that maybe we should have seen coming last year. And I think, I think saw a little bit late, maybe two or three games in and went, Oh, um, you know, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, so now there are a couple of instances, instances where offenses do improve significantly, or at least where the outliers show the improvement significantly. So, um, a change in offensive coordinator has driven large changes and a change in quarterback. So really a transfer coming in at quarterback. It's one of the reasons why I wanted Florida to go after Burrow. But, um, you know, they do have the change in offensive coordinator. We'll see how much of a difference that makes. But, you know, it, it ends up being about a 1% chance that they're going to be a top 20 offense. It's about a 75% chance that they'll be in the 85 to 90 range. Um, you know, 50-50 that they'll be 20, 30, 40 spots better. I think Mullen is a better coach than most than most uh, coaches out there. And so I think, you know, it's reasonable to think he might get them in the 60 to, you know, the 50th to 60th range. I think to ask him to get into the 20th or 30th is just being, um, it, it's an unreasonable expectation coming in. If he does it, then we have to give him a significant amount of credit for it. All right, there. So I, I just went full homer then. <laughs> That's the way to go, Dave. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, uh, I changed my mind on this one. So over under 21 points per game on the defense. Uh, so we go, go back in the last three seasons, starting with last season, 27.3 points per game, which ranked 61st in the nation. Two years ago, 16.8 points per game, ranked 6th in the nation. And back to 2015, 18.3 points per game, that ranked 10th in the nation. But I'll go over uh, that this defense, uh, you know, goes over 21 points per game. I say, you know, and, and close, you know, 22, 23, 24 points per game. You know, just, just, just those little increments, you know, those are differences uh, when you start talking about averages and spreading them out through a whole year. But, you know, that'd be about a touchdown difference uh, if you go to about around the 22 points per game, uh, about, about a touchdown difference from what they gave up last year. I do think the schedule helps with this improved defense. I don't see Colorado State, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, maybe LSU is able to, to come up. Uh, and put up a ton of points. Uh, that's at least half of the schedule there. So I think the corners are building off uh, of last year and a different approach for the front seven in this Todd Grantham defense. You know, Grantham went to Mississippi State last season uh, with a defense that gave up 31 points per game the year before and improved that unit uh, to giving up only 22 points per game. So an eight-point eight game difference there. Uh, last season at Mississippi State for Todd Grantham. And that's with giving up 31 to Georgia, 49 to Auburn, 31 to Alabama, and 31 to Ole Miss. So, you know, I, I think Grantham comes in and proves the defense enough uh, and the schedule is easier this year at, at, at Florida compared to what Mississippi State had to face last season. So while I think the defense improves by a good bit, I, I don't see them averaging under 21 points a game just because, you know, I think they get stranded by the offense too many times. 
Yeah, I'm taking the over on this one for a couple of different reasons. Um, I've got them at 23 points per game exactly. That's an improvement of 4.3 points per game allowed from last year. But that's more impressive than it seems because based on last year's defensive yards above replacement allowed, they should have given up 32.6 points per game last season. So the amount of yards they were giving up through the air to opposing quarterbacks was significantly more than the actual points they gave up, which is a testament to their ability to sort of bow up in the red zone and get some turnovers. but Again, you can't necessarily count on that. So, you know, that really means they need to massively improve their underlying statistics, yards per play, yards per pass attempt, in order to in order to get to that 23 points per game mark. I think they will, but I think it's I think that's about the maximum that we can expect. And I think one of the interesting things about Grantham is certainly he improved Mississippi State's defense considerably. But again, when you look at those underlying stats, the one outlier is the guy who was between Grantham and and the guy before him at Mississippi State. So the the guys in 2004, one of whom was Jeff Collins, but you had Jeff Collins and Manny Diaz in I think 2004 and 2000 or 2014 2015, who had very similar statistics to Grantham in 2017. And then and then the defensive coordinator. I'm sorry, his name's escaping me, but um, the defensive coordinator for Mississippi State in 2016 had a much worse defense, and then Grantham comes in and sort of brings them back to where they had been. Um, and then the interesting thing there is that that defensive coordinator then went to Louisville and took over the defense that Grantham had had pretty good at Louisville, and that defense went went to hell. So, <laughs> so the question is, is that guy just not a good offensive or defensive coordinator, or is Grantham really that sort of difference maker? I think that's something we're going to find out. I think it's a little bit, you know. I, I wrote about this a while back. I think Grantham's a good defensive coordinator. I don't know that he's necessarily a game changer. He didn't show major he didn't show major step changes and improvement either on the field or in recruiting at other programs he's been at. And you can't say that he's never had this kind of talent like you can with Mullen as a head coach because Grantham was a defensive coordinator at Georgia for an extended period of time. And the Bulldogs were good under him in some years and they were bad and bad under him in some years, but they were never really more, you know, they never got to a top 10 defense, certainly not a top 15. And that's sort of where Florida's going to have to get to, um, to get below that 21 point per game mark. All right. And we'll stay on the defensive side here for sacks uh, over and under 29 and a half. Uh, so Florida got 23 sacks last season. I went back to look at that Mississippi state uh, just because of their defense Todd Grantham runs and they sacked the quarterback 36 times last year. So 13 more than Florida last year, year before, uh, Florida sacked the quarterback 29 times when Jeff Collins in his final season there. So that's why I set the number at 29 and a half there, trying to fit somewhere in the middle of you know something Florida did in the past and what Mississippi State did last year and what Florida did last year. Uh, I'm going to go over on this one uh, as the Gators are loaded at defensive end, that rush-in position with, with Jefferson, Zuniga, Polite, Clayton, Moon. Uh, we've seen Chauncey Gardner come from his nickel position to get into the backfield uh, at times during, in fall camp, so added, added another part of the arsenal there. Uh, Grantham, Grantham is going to throw pressure from every which way uh, with the goal of you know just pressuring the quarterback and creating some havoc here. So you know with the depth Florida has at that position, I expect at least 30 sacks. Yeah, I'm going to go under on this one, mostly because, um, especially with the injuries in the secondary, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to hold up long enough to get some of those covered sacks that you need to get to get into that 30 to 35 to 40 range on on the on the sacks. You know, it's not always just the defensive end beating the offensive lineman. Sometimes it's the wide receivers can't beat the corners. And when that happens, then uh, then you get a covered sack. So certainly if Marco Wilson and CJ Henderson improve considerably this year, along with Chauncey Gardner being back there in more of a coverage role, you can see maybe some more coverage sacks. But, you know, with the safety, 
safeties in particular being a question mark, and I think Steiner's going to be pretty good, but you know, the safeties being a question mark at this point, I, I, I think they're probably not going to get as many of those covered sacks as they got in 2015 and 2016, and so I'll take the under. All right, so over and under there, Will, we'll see uh, how Will will do when the season ends, and maybe better than last year because uh, that, maybe two topics will actually uh, – Make it make their way through it this time. Yeah, maybe some of the guys we're talking about will actually play. That might <laughs> that might help make it more interesting. <laughs> All right, well, I got our next topic from uh, Kirk Herbstreet and his preseason uh, picks called the Herbies. Uh, and by the way, on the Herbies, Herbstreet picked the Gators as his most surprised team, so that makes him and Phil still uh, uh, as uh, you know as analysts out there. They are picking the Gators to be a surprise team this year, and uh, most in both of them, uh, most of it to do. Uh, in the confidence in Dan Mullen. So, but here we go, Will, with some of our predictions for various aspects of this Gators team. Uh, you know, this was kind of fun piecing together here. Uh, and let's start with the ultimate game changer. And to no surprise to many, if they listen to me enough on this podcast and, and, and on Twitter, I'm picking Malik Davis here. They go back in those Tennessee and Vanderbilt games last year. Yes, I know he fumbled at the goal line of Tennessee, but that showed the ability uh, to be a game changer. He scores there, puts that game away. Um, Vandy, he did put the game away with a late fourth quarter run uh, and, and to seal that game, uh, averaging almost seven yards a carry. Uh, now I'm hoping by the end of the season that we can put one of those rush ends in this spot, someone who emerges to, to that Jarvis Jones type under Grantham. You know, go get the quarterback, chase down plays, make something happen, as we just mentioned uh, in, in our previous segment here uh, with Polite, Jefferson Moon. Uh, I can see those guys fitting fit that billing. But if you're going to look at offense and a, and a game changer for a guy who's done it, I'm putting Malik Davis there. Huh, that's an interesting selection. I know we're not really surprised at that, but obviously you've got Scarlett going for over a thousand, and your game changers Malik Davis. Hey, it could, means- well, it could take one play. Well, that's a good thing you took the over then on the offense because if he's the game changer and Scarlett goes for a thousand, I think people are going to be happy with that. But uh, so my ultimate game changer, I've got Chauncey Gardner Johnson. I think the secondary is already banged up. It was the weak link in the defense a year ago. I think the defense is what needs to improve in 2018 for what most Florida fans would consider a successful season. Um, and the defense needs to cons- needs to improve a considerable amount to get to those eight or nine or 10 wins that Florida's really looking for. His ability to cover, so five interceptions and 10 passes defense in his first two years. I was a little bit surprised that last year his coverage stats were actually pretty good. I'm just not sure they put him back there that often. Mm-hmm. Um this year, he should be back there more often. I think that's going to be critical to the defense playing well. So I think if Chauncey Gardner's running back there in center field, if he's getting if he's getting picks and being able to run them back and, and sort of getting the juice running on the defense, I think that's a really good sign for Florida, and he's going to be the game changer for the year. Yep. Uh, he might show up later on, Will. So <laughs> we'll see where we go here. Uh, best tandem um, as uh, we go through here. I think this is kind of a given, uh, but I'll see where you go with this too. Marco Wilson, Marco Wilson uh, CJ Christopher Henderson here. Uh, Marco Wilson was the second highest rated freshman cornerback. Uh, he had a 45% contested target rate, which is the highest among returning SEC defensive backs, led the team in 10 pass breakups, uh, and most by true freshmen since Vernon Hargraves did it in 2013. Uh, coaches all SEC um, uh, selection here, CJ Henderson and his four interceptions really stand out because, you know, those two, two of those was returned for touchdowns. And he was also a freshman all SEC, uh, by the coaches. So as far as the best tandem, I got the cornerbacks, Wilson and Henderson. Interesting. Again, I, I've got Grimes and Jefferson. So uh, Trevon Grimes, Van Jefferson, mostly because, so Grimes is six foot five, two ten, And I can't remember the last time that 
that Florida had a six foot five receiver um, who with that sort of skill. And then Jefferson's six two. Probably Demarcus Robinson, right? Maybe. Maybe I don't think he was six five. Yeah, yeah, I know he was um, up there, but probably not that tall. Yeah, so you know Jefferson's been the best offensive player in camp. We already talked about that. Grimes is the same height as Kelvin Benjamin. And so, but he's a lot smaller or he's a lot skinnier and a lot shiftier than Benjamin. But you think about what Mullen likes to do in the red zone. He likes to go five wide. He likes to have a quarterback in there who's a threat to run the ball. And then that makes the defense go one-on-one with all the wide receivers when he's going five wide. If you got a six foot five guy on a five foot nine guy, you just throw it up. And so (laughs) I, I think... I think that's one of the places where Grimes really is going to have to excel if the offense is going to be effective. And the other thing is you've also got Cleveland at 6'2", so I'm sort of cheating throwing a third guy in there. <laughs> they got three wide receivers up over six foot two. I think that's one of the reasons why Frank's skill set makes sense for him as a starter if you're going to throw it deep, if you're going to throw it outside, if you're going to find those one-on-one matchups, say, go get it. And uh, so to me, Grimes and Jefferson are – have to be the best tandem for the offense to really be successful. And and I think they're going to be able to do that in some capacity, at least, and be sort of the guys who we look at at the end of the year and go, wow, they really played well. Uh, DeMarcus Robinson was 6-1. So, yeah, I was way off with that one. <laughs> uh, hey, but, hey, speaking to your point in our next topic, breakout star, I'm picking Trevon Grimes, uh, 6 5 two, 10, and he is that big target. You know, and he's breakout star. Look, he yes, he's highly thought of, highly rated. Uh, but it's projection right now because he really hasn't done much. And, and I think if the running game is working like we think it will, I think the quarterbacks, as much as you said, the quarterbacks will have plenty of one-on-one chances. And I think Grimes, you throw it up there, his size can really be a reliable target for these quarterbacks. And I think he falls into this category because he's a one-time five-star prospect, missed his senior season after three games, then went on to Ohio State where he only saw time in two games, caught three passes for 20 yards. So I think he comes to Gainesville and breaks out and lives up to that billing. Yeah, so my breakout starts to Daryl Slayton. So the 3-4 sets up perfectly for him. We already talked about how he's made his way into the starting lineup. He showed flashes of explosiveness in 2017 where he really sort of made opposing quarterbacks feel uncomfortable when he was able to get off the line of scrimmage right at the snap. Um, you know, And that was really a scheme that didn't take advantage of his strengths. I think in this case, the scheme is going to take advantage of some of his strengths. I'm not sure he's going to break the sack record like he's talked about. But if he can stay healthy, he's going to be able to keep offensive linemen off of the linebackers. And that's going to be essential in Grantham's scheme, particularly in a scheme where those linebackers are limited. And so to me, Slayton is the guy that if you're looking at, if you're looking at who needs to break out, I think Slayton's one of those guys, but certainly I think he has the ability to do so and certainly has shown flashes that he has the uh, capacity to do that this year. All right, Will, I'll let you go first here on this next one. Uh, Which Florida player gets no respect? I'll say Felipe Franks. Oh. I mean, I mean, he, he was pretty bad last year, but lots of quarterbacks are bad and improve. Um, you know, that was really a Mickey Mouse offense he was dealing with. If you look at Drew Locke at Missouri, he improved did considerably. You say, did you say Willie Taggart? <laughs> Do something, Dave. Do something. So, yeah, I I don't think Drew Locke's a real good comparison. I think maybe Matthew Stafford's a better comparison in terms of how he improved um, just from an arm strength perspective, though Stafford was better in high school. Look, I don't think Franks is going to be an All-American. I I don't. 
Um, I think he has the physical tools to do that. I don't know that he has the accuracy to do that, but he has a cannon and he played well until he made mistakes in 2017. And, you know, McIlwain and Nussmeyer were his coaches. And so, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be a star, but I do believe Mullen's going to be able to use him in a way that plays to his strengths. And when his weaknesses are glaring, I think there will be packages for other players. So Tony Jones, maybe even Trask down the red zone. We talked about the belldozer for Oklahoma, and maybe that's where Trask makes his mark this year. So I, I do think that coaching is going to make a difference for Franks. I think he'll be better. I don't think he's going to be elite. I'm not sure he's even going to be average. But the guy hasn't gotten any respect, and all he's done is kept his head down and work his butt off and continue to get better. And we even saw that last year because I would say his best game came at South Carolina – after he had been benched and after he sort of had to come back in and, and, you know, he kept his head up, he kept working and he got better. You could see him get better. You could see the game slowing down a little bit. And so I've been very impressed by his ability to sort of, um, at least compartmentalize the outside noise because certainly a large portion of the Florida fan base would, would be happy if he didn't play anymore. And he just went out and won the starting job. So, um, you know, Hey, all respect to that guy. He won, he went and he went and won the job after the season he had last year. That's, that's something you got to tip your hat to. All right, then uh, my no respect player uh, who, who you know gets who gets little uh, respect here is Michael Piran. I think uh, you know we're all excited for the return of Jordan Scarlett and, uh, and the playmaking ability of Malik Davis, uh, potential of Damian Pierce, but you know, Piran gets overlooked a lot, and I'm guilty of it too. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where he fits into the rotation, but if Malik Davis is, isn't fully healthy, he'll get carries uh, enough to prove that he needs to be on the field more. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see him in this offense as well because he does make something out of nothing when, you, when you're looking back at the lack of help he had uh, from the offensive lineman here. You know, I think he needs help from from a better offensive lineman that, that he'll get this year in this running game. He forced the most missed tackles against SEC defenses among returning um, SEC running backs with, 20, with 26. So that's stat from Pro Football Focus there. So, look, he's not going to wow you, uh, but he's a steady back that you know just have, may have a, a pretty – who may be a bigger threat in this offense. That's interesting because didn't Scarlett lead the SEC in broken tackles two years yeah, ago? I believe so. I think that says something about our offensive, offensive line. line yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. So. Yeah. But it still shows the ability, I guess. Certainly. <laughs> Um, all right, next one. Uh, as you can tell, I'm sticking around. I'm sticking around these running backs a lot here. Best kept secret. I'm going with Damian Pierce. Um, you know, if you listen to this podcast long enough, you know how much I like this kid coming out of high school. Uh, was my favorite recruit in this last last this last class. Uh, you look, you don't set the state of Georgia rushing record and not be a, a special player. Uh, in that state, so you know, he came in spring and fall, made an impact, and we'll you know we'll definitely see him on the field uh, this season. But he, he's a secret now, but won't be for long. Yeah. So my my uh, my best kept secret is Jawan Taylor. Um, you know the the right tackle. He started twenty three of twenty four games since mm. he came into Gainesville. Started as a true freshman. Twenty one at right tackle, two at left tackle when Ivy went down last year. He doesn't come out of the game. The offensive line has been maligned a lot. And and much of that's deserved, but Taylor's the only Taylor's only a junior, and he's shown enough to be the one guy I trust up front. So you know, I think if the right guard can get push along with Taylor, the running game should take a major step forward, and that's something that I'm expecting to see this year. And I think Taylor is sort of going to be the anchor that they run behind. I don't, you know, if if you told me Ivy or Taylor, which one would I want? I think I'd say Taylor. I think he's shown more, um, and he's shown more at a younger age than than Ivy did. Ivy certainly played pretty well at guard, but has struggled at tackle. Taylor had to step in at tackle day one and it's played pretty well all right we'll kind of get through these next few here 
all intangible player, Will, and I'm going with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson here. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about how they're using him this fall, and he's everywhere uh, for this defense. He, he's you know he's covering from from nickel corner position. Uh, you know he'll get picks there. He's disrupting screen passes. He'll have tackles for loss. He's pressuring the quarterback from the nickel position. Big plays happen when you sack the quarterback. So put all that together, and look, you you talked about him just a few minutes ago, and everything that you saw from Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. That's why he's my all intangible guy. And my all intangible is David Reese, the linebacker, the, the one with 100 tackles last year. So, <laughs> you know, he, he called out the team last year after a horrible play against Georgia and Missouri and sort of challenged them, you know, in terms of whether they wanted to be there or not. And he seems to have the respect of the locker room. And they were okay with Reese as a younger player calling everyone out. Um, you know, he led the team in tackles. He's willing to do the dirty work. He isn't the most athletically gifted player. And I think maybe that's why people listen to him. Um, and, and so I think uh, I think Reese is the guy I would look at on that defense as sort of the driving force. It's one of the reasons why his injury is such a big deal. Okay, here we go. And uh, Will, who's your biggest shoes to fill? So I would say punter, Tommy Townsend. Uh-huh. So, you know, the Gators aren't losing a whole lot. They've got a bunch of returning starters. And so Townsend replaces his brother. And he kept Florida a lot of games last season by flipping the field, booming punts, pinning the opposition. Um, it was really the only weapon the offense had in some of those games was having was having Townsend out there punting it. And certainly Tommy Townsend um, looks like he's going to be very good. The bloodlines are good. But, you know, until the lights go on, you don't know. And, and you know, it, it's got to be a hard thing to replace your brother especially when your brother's an NFL caliber player. I, I don't imagine that's the easiest thing in the world. And obviously Marco Wilson had to do it at corner and did it pretty admirably, but uh, you know, we'll see whether Townsend can do it. I think filling your brother's shoes is about the biggest they can get. Look at you going on special teams. I guess we could have went with McPherson too, filling in for Pinedo. Hey, you know, he, he was the other one I was thinking about, but the brother <laughs> angle makes, yeah. it, makes it, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about having to fill in for my brother. If he was really good at something, <laughs> um, I, I think I would have like committed elsewhere. <laughs> Uh, I probably went with the most obvious one here uh, to Daryl Slayton for uh, Taven Bryan uh, being a first round pick for the Jaguars there. Uh, you know, in, in an article from uh, Thomas Goldcamp, our friend Thomas Goldcamp from Swamp 24 7, Taven Bryan played 547 snaps last fall. Uh, so there's a lot of snaps in production that the Gators must overcome, uh, you know, in that inside position where, you know, you need guys to, to stay healthy and need guys to, get, especially in SEC play with teams that are going to run the ball, that that, that stay in there. So, you know, Slayton uh, comes in this 2018 season with, with some big expectations, um, 343, six foot five. Look, he's squatting 595 pounds, bitch pressing 395 pounds. What you want to see from a guy who's going to be uh, in this position who needs to hold up uh, as the season goes on. So, you know, in this new system, I don't think he'll be – I don't think he'll be tasked to play the 547 snaps Taven Bryan did. Florida's got a little bit of depth there. Uh, So, you know, coaches mentioned they'd like to rotate bodies all along that defensive line. But to also help him inside, you know, Elijah Conliffe, uh, who has recently passed Kerry Clark on the depth chart. Uh, so, you know, and uh, he, he, as Will's mentioned, you know, he's shown some explosiveness uh, as well uh, at times. But uh, I found another stat from uh, Pro Football Focus here uh, among the inside defensive linemen. And Slayton and Conliffe graded out higher by Pro Football Focus than any of the interior guys other than Taven Bryan last fall. So, uh, Slayton graded out at a 73.9 and Collins of 73.1. So, you know, while we were going into spring and you know, didn't hear a lot of Slayton and Conliffe, I mean, mostly Slayton here, you know, probably taking over for that inside tackle spot uh, here. Um, this is a guy who, who's going to need to to come in and, and be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Will, much as, as you said, 
you know, what he can do in anchoring that line can really help the entire defense. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Slayton can do. I think he's somebody who could be a disruptor, and he's the kind of guy who can who can flip the field really quickly if he gets into the backfield and, and disrupts things. And so it's going to be fun to watch him play, and uh, can't wait. All right, here we go. Uh, last one for uh, these kind of fun things from the Herbies here. Uh, question marks that aren't actually questions, and I'm going with uh, how to ro- how to rotate the backs, how to rotate the running backs. So they, they've been kind of been my theme here uh, throughout this this whole part. Uh, as, and I've mentioned a whole lot of them, but I still think there's pretty much a clear pecking order here. I think Mullen picks his guy. More than likely, Scarlett rides with him uh, for the most part. Uh, they run the ball a lot. There'll be there'll be enough carries to go around uh, to keep guys fresh. I still think you know Scarlett uh, enough to go get his thousand yards. But I think behind him, um, I think Mullen will go, do a good job of finding which each one does well. Let Scarlett go in there and, and be the beast he can be, but then figure out where he can use the other guys. And I don't expect guys to, especially Scarlett, if he's going to be the number one, to get pulled if they're in a the groove. You mean they're not going to rotate them every three plays, regardless of what's happening? <laughs> that just—I I don't know how to deal with that kind of thing. Um, fresh, fresh back into the fourth quarter. Fresh backs. <laughs> so the question mark that I don't think is is actually a question. I think it's special teams. I think it's undoubtable that they're going to be better, just because the team is actually practicing them and putting talented guys in the in in the positions to win. Um, you know, Florida special teams have been really bad since Meyer left, and Mullen's certainly been putting an emphasis on that and looking to restore that. You know, the question is whether they can block a kick this year. I think they're going to get multiple. I think they're going to flip the field. I think the special teams are really going to play a role. I think Townsend will do fine. I think he's got the biggest shoes to fill, but I think he'll do fine. Uh, McPherson was very, very good in high school. I expect that'll probably continue. I don't think he'll be as good as Pineo, but, you know, who is going to be as good as that guy. So, um, you know, I think special teams, Mullen's going to put his mark there. I think that's an area where you can gain an edge if you're a little bit less talented or if you don't quite have a handle of the offense. So that's where I'm looking for him to make his biggest impact. Well, I just thought of a, another one here. I don't want to surprise you. How many third and long play actions do we see this year? <laughs> I don't know, but when we see it, you can bet I'm going to tweet about it. That's for sure. <laughs> It'd be a fun joke uh, if, 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 and if that happens, of course. It's only August, Dave. It's only August. <laughs> Uh, here we go. We'll end the episode on a bold prediction here. And look, I'm going out. Uh, look, this is what it's supposed to be. Bold prediction. The offensive line won't be as big as a liability as a lot of people think. Uh, the run, they, look, pretty much I, I think they got, I won't say half of it figured out, but the, run blocking, I think they'll already be pretty good there. Uh, we've we've heard about it ha- enough with these running backs with the offensive line that they're you know they are opening up opening up some holes for these running backs. I think with Hevesy coming in and the new strength and conditioning, you know that part of the game will will lend itself to I think also better better pass blocking. I don't think they'll be be put into a lot of bad positions time and time again to where they'll they, they have to defend the, the third and long and. Everybody in the world knows a pass is coming, but you're going to play action anyway, and the quarterback gets hit. There, there won't be the, those type of things. I think the, Dan Mullen will coach around this offensive line. They'll improve as well. They got the, they got a lot of experience coming back. Hopefully, Heggie can come back uh, and, and as the season goes on, get healthy, get healthy as the season goes on, so he can insert himself at center or left guard wherever he needs to be. But my bold prediction is, will this this offensive line is not going to be as big as a liability as we think. 
Hey, I hope so, because that's certainly, I think, where Mullen's going to try to make his make his income this year, and uh, certainly looking forward to seeing if they can do that. I already told you, I was sort of vacillating between two, so I had Steiner playing a major role at safety, but obviously he's starting, so that doesn't seem quite like the bold <laughs> prediction that it did when I made it yesterday uh, and wrote it down. But So my bold prediction is Felipe Frank starts all 13 games. So he's going to start the 12 games for the regular season and he's going to start the bowl game. I I think, I think he's going to be good enough. I think the offense is going to be competent. Um, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. And I think that, um, you know, if that shows early, maybe Mullen does decide to redshirt Emory Jones. I don't think he will, but I think, I think he might think about doing that, particularly if he's getting running out of Kadarius Tony at the, at the quarterback position, um, sort of in the wildcat, kind of like McElwain used him last year. So, you know, I think most people think Trask is going to get a shot at some point this year, maybe Emory Jones toward the end of the year. My bold prediction, Frank starts all 13 games. Would it be a bold prediction that we can actually blow out teams and backups get playing time? <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> that, would, that would have been a bold prediction a year ago. I don't know, though. After watching Colorado State the other day, you get them down by about 50, and all of a sudden they decide it's time to put the ball in the air and uh, you know come roaring back. So uh, put your put your foot on the throat when you got a, when you got a shot. Yeah, that's not a bold prediction. That's just a prediction. Florida's going to blow out a couple teams this year. So there we hey, go. there you go. We'll have something good to write about. Yeah, there we go. Well, this one was fun. We got a lot in on this one. Yeah, man, it's uh, I can't wait for the season. I've been counting down for a really long time, and you know now we're down to what five days until the season starts. So certainly a lot of things going along, going going on in our world <laughs> to get ready for this. And we appreciate everybody listening, reading, and and contributing. I I know if I go over to Twitter right now, I've probably got a thousand notifications, and and I appreciate it. If I don't get back to you, I'm sorry. It's it's. <laughs> It's a lot. So uh, anyway, but we appreciate all the feedback, appreciate all the compliments, appreciate all the criticisms because hopefully those things make us better and it's going to be fun and I'm looking forward to the season. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you missed our opponent previews uh, before the season kicks off, uh, all the all the opponents that Gators play, uh, minus Charleston, Southern Idaho, those games, yeah, they, really, really no use in pre- previewing those games. But all the other uh, opponent previews are out there all the way from uh, Kentucky to FSU. Uh, and coming up later, uh, Gators Breakdown coming up later this week, Chris Doring will join join me here, and we'll talk and get his thoughts uh, about the Gators as they head into the 2018 season. Will, anything else? No, just this season on Read and Reaction, every Wednesday, we're going to have a preview of the game that's coming up. And then either Sunday or Monday, depending upon how quickly I can get through my film study, and depending upon whether I have uh, whether I've traveled to the game, there will be a uh, sort of breakdown of the game and what happened and why it happened and that sort of stuff. And, you know, hopefully everybody will take a look. This is really sort of the fun time of year where we're not writing down sort of archaic uh, – or not archaic. We're not writing down esoteric um, – recruiting statistics instead we're actually showing what happened on the field that becomes really really fun to do and and so i hope everybody enjoys it and will take a look and subscribe to the website it's free um it just sort of lets me send it to you via email and uh, lets me know that you're interested and i appreciate it all right so plenty coming up on gators breakdown and will site readreaction.com all whole ton of gator coverage out there for you um uh, gator fans and gator nation and uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of work goes into this and we really appreciate you guys uh watching listening and reading all that you can get uh, from, from Will and I. So for Will, you can catch him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. And again, his site, readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>